Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we hungrily discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations really want to have a narrator. You thought the Grease novelization shoehorning Sonny into a scene or two was a little awkward? Well, get ready for Biff Hawk to be everything everywhere all at once. Like a dim-witted god, Biff Hawk's omniscience permeates every fold of story and inhabits every corner of the earth. There is no human interaction this little man does not see, judge, and plan to respond to. There is no sin unseen by the wise Hawk Jr., no secret love so clandestine he cannot witness it, and no inner thought that he cannot find, his boyish eyes penetrating the skull of a man as he sits in loving judgment. In his capacity as narrator, Biff Hawk is less son of flubber and more son of God. Novelizations commit to the bit. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of flying rubbers. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Johnny Pomato. And I'm Hannah Blackman. Son of Flubber is a 1963 comedy directed by Robert Stevenson. It once again follows eccentric inventor Ned Brainerd, now the famous father of the miraculous Flubber, an elastic energy source of perpetual renewal. When Brainerd foolishly seeks to profit from his invention through trust in the U.S. government, foolhardy, he finds that he and his wife Betsy suddenly have the woes of the ultra-rich without the attendant cash flow. His marriage falling apart for this and other unrelated reasons, maybe because he fucking sucks as a man. The absent-minded professor attempts to make lightning strike twice by creating a new indispensable gadget. Which, like, dude, come on. <laughs> but it's a gun that can make clouds rain. It makes rain. And clouds. And it breaks glass. Something we just, all like, need. <sighs> <laughs> The merits of this invention apparent to Brainerd, but not necessarily others, the oft-misunderstood hero sets to terrorizing Medfield College, as he once did with his infamous Flubber. But can he invent a new toy worthy of investment, or will he forever be known as the Flubber guy? Or will he go to jail? Also, is the gas Flubber's son? I think so. I think that's what the, that's what the, the movie and book is, is purporting. Cool. Yeah. The novelization of Son of Flubber was written by Roger Fuller from a screenplay by Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh and Don Gradati. It was released by Pocket Books in 1963. Our guest today, one of the hosts of the podcast Teen Creeps, one of the hosts of the podcast What Even Is This? Also, the guest from our Indiana Jones and the Ape Slaves of Howling Island episode, as well as our episode on The Absent-Minded Professor, Kelly Nugent. How are you doing today? I'm so good. I, you know, I'm angry because of this movie and book. <laughs> I was enraged. You're angry it's over? <laughs> <laughs> He's the most winsome, loving man. And I never want to spend time with the absent-minded professor again. Bull. I, if I, I, could, I could live the rest of my life and never see him again and be happy. I hated him so much. He was horrible to his wife. He's awful. He was gaslighting her. He was gaslighting her. Again, it's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and you know what's wild is that, like, I actually hated him more in the book. Like, because he was me. Whatever. We'll get into it. But I'm okay. <laughs> I'm fine. I guess while you're watching the movie, Fred 
Fred McMurray has a warm presence that even if you're mad at his character's actions, you're just like, well, there he is with his, you know, smoking his pipe and uh, he's smiling at me. So it's, it's hard to stay mad at that guy. There's enough moments in the movie where I felt like he was genuinely like kind to Betsy mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. not in the book. Yeah. And there's moments in the book that are not in the movie where he goes even like he argues with her so much about Desiree where I was like, bro, like it's even more in the book that he's like, like defending Desiree to his wife for some reason. I'm like, bro, you he needs like a friend. You haven't seen this girl in 20 years. Just like, let it go, man. You married let a great lady. Go. Stop seeing this other woman who clearly wants to fuck you. I know. And ruin your marriage. What's your problem, man? But does she or is she just a a, a pawn, a device by uh, uh, Shelly? She's Shelley, so on uh, top of him, Johnny. Ashton. Come on. Does Shelby bring her in as an attempt to ruin? No, don't take away her autonomy. I, I think the brainerd don't. marriage. Yeah. But then once yeah, she's she, there, she's like, come on, baby. Yeah, she's not like, great. <laughs> uh, it is. I, I, I was, uh, you know, surprised to see the words, words like sex pot in a Disney uh, novelization. Uh, yeah. But, you know, Hannah, you were on our last Absent Minded Professor uh, episode, a, um, a, a sort of uh, uh, a defender of Shelby. Uh, you you were kind of a fan, if I remember correctly, and so. Well, he's the he's the lesser of two shitty dudes to me. I don't know. He seems unhealthily obsessed with uh, Betsy. I think neither one. of them are good for Betsy. No, neither of them are good. But in this of one. the two, yeah. one of them is ruining her life, not supporting her, not taking care of her. Then there, I mean, pretty early when Shelby re-enters, son of Flubber, he's like, "Hey, you guys are having trouble financially. I want to offer Betsy a job." That will help her live the life she wants and give her something of her own to like do, you know, yes. that isn't just being a housewife. And Ned Brainerd is like, no wife of mine is going to have a job. I'd rather starve in the gutter and kill her than let her work. This was a statement that I just sort of predicted in our, when we did uh, Absent Minded Professor. It's like, you know, he seems like the kind of guy who's like, no wife of mine shall work. And then he <laughs> straight up says it in this movie. I was yeah. so vindicated. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Bad guy. No, no, no. A- a- any mild defense that I had of Professor Brainerd in the last episode, I'm, I'm mostly going to throw out the window because, uh, uh, like, yeah, no, no good anymore. Shelby sucks. Sure. But the things that Brainerd does to him to, like, get back at him for liking his wife. Oh, my like, God. Like, almost drowns him yeah. in this movie. He was Tries deranged. to murder him. It's too far. It's kind of cute in the first movie where it and it's basically the same scene where it's like, OK, flying car as he drives home above his vehicle. In this, it gets a little out of hand. It, it gets it goes too far. Well, and even like so kind of touching on his performance in the movie he's like scary Mm -hmm. his face is like scary with how happy he is that he is almost drowning this man it was way worse because in the first movie and book he's just like bouncing on top of his car totally harmless like okay kind of making him feel crazy whatever sure this was like crazed look is in his eye filling up the car with water also, did you notice that the book kept calling everyone, like, saying how hot everybody was? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> everyone's so hot. Everyone's so hot. Uh, the, 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 we already talked about Desiree. She's a sex pop, but 
she first of all uh she doesn't have a lot going on in her life before this book because she fully moves to the town just to potentially someday get railed by ned it's not even happening she moves to the town she uproots her entire life to be a part of this scheme but yeah there's a there's a a passage at the beginning of the book where uh biff is like betsy is so hot you guys remember that yeah yeah, I mean, what? he says it like four times. It's he's, like a little he, off-putting. Yeah. Like, that's the wife of your mentor. Yeah. Cool it, buddy. Where he's like, where he's like um, he says something like, God really outdid himself in the hot girls department. Something like that, <laughs> like when he's talking about <laughs> Betsy. Yeah. But then he's also like, oh, she's a sweet little number. And I can't believe like D- Dr. Brainerd's not taking care of her. But he also talks about how hot Dr. Brainerd is. Everyone is so hot. It's crazy because I'm like, I think we talked about this in Absent-Minded Professor, but it feels like The Absent-Minded Professor was written to be a hot guy in his 30s, mm. not old-ass Fred McMurray <laughs> who looks too old for the women in this movie. Yes. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not talking about his uh, acting style, but he is reminiscent of a ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a heavily smoked ham. Yeah. A bone-in yeah. ham. If Dean yeah. Jones is in this movie, none of us have a problem with any of his actions. That's my prediction. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I have problems, but I would, I'm more forgiving of a young guy who doesn't really know, hasn't settled into like being a gentleman yet, or is still like in his youthful wild oats phase or whatever. I'm, I'm willing to cut more slack on a guy who's like 28. Than a dude who's forty-five to seventy. I don't know. How old yeah, he's he is. you could t- <laughs> road hard, put away wet. I do not know how old this man is. I don't know. I don't know. Betsy looked great the whole movie, though. Yeah, she looked great. so cute. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I loved her costume. Just to share some thoughts on Betsy. Betsy married the professor right after Flubber, so that made him a two-way winner. Because outside of Mickey Hacker. I guess Mrs. Betsy Brainerd is the best-looking woman ever designed by the little old women makers. It was wild, too, because Betsy used to be secretary to Shelby Ashton. Okay, that's exposition. But then we get, that was when they really began calling. Well, that's not accurate to the absent-minded professor. Come on, right. Roger Fuller, pay attention. And there's a lot of stuff that's not accurate, like, between the two books and movies, either. We'll mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah. Wait, here's, outside here's of the, who? just the other part of... Oh, outside of Mickey Hacker's Wait, girlfriend. Who, who's Mickey Hacker? Never heard of her. Exactly. My favorite character from The Absent-Minded Professor. Yeah. Biff's girlfriend, Mickey Hacker. I mean, the novelization of The Absent-Minded Professor also made up a girlfriend for him, but we couldn't even be consistent with made-up no. girlfriends? Has anyone ever seen Mickey Hacker, or does Biff, <laughs> is he the only one who sees Mickey? I, I know. Biff, is Mickey in the room with yeah. us right now? <laughs> I, okay, before we get away from this, though, yeah. I got to read the end of this quote. Uh, that was when they be they really began calling him nutsy because Betsy was a delectable dish on everybody's score sheet. This line made me hungry, not horny. True story. A delectable dish. When I read delectable dish, I went, I love to eat. I was not thinking, whoa, Betsy. I don't think this story benefits from having a 19-year-old narrator. Yeah. No. And it's so puzzling. I mean, and not just the novelization, but the movie as well, that they completely rewrite who Biff is. Uh, He is instantly, uh, you know, uh, Professor Brainerd's trustworthy sidekick. And, uh, you know, in the the first film, he is one of the villains. He is maybe not uh, uh, all that bad, but he is more Alonzo Hawk than he is in this. And uh, I'm surprised that they even, like, you know, didn't just rewrite 
you know, oh no, he's actually a new character or something. Because yeah, he is still Alonzo Hawk's son, but that that never really, you know, other than him asking for allowance, it's just weird. It's a weird disconnect. And uh, you know, Alonzo Hawk needed a, a sidekick. He needed someone to talk to about this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was also like kind of going off of the like inconsistencies. I was so mad that okay. First, the the first movie doesn't really have Humphrey in it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then the second movie introduces Humphrey and he's best friends with with Biff, just like in the first book. But then in the second book, they're enemies. And I'm like, what? How are they enemies? Why are they enemies? And they're like completely different and he's not and Humphrey's not like a a smart guy anymore. He's doesn't want to do the 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 football Sports. thing even though yeah. it it was just and that football scene was too long i know i'm all over <laughs> that football scene was too long but not in the book it's it's not it's it's like three and a half pages soaking wet in the oh book oh my god uh in the movie it's it goes nothing. on for you know 20 minutes but at least it has pauline calling the plays which like my favorite part of the that's movie that's why yeah. you need a long yeah. actually i i was like that is why they're doing this by that point in the movie i was like i'm very tired <laughs> And then Pauline showed up and I was like, I love it again. I'm having fun. Yeah, yeah his commentary yeah. was better than actually watching the special effects and the action. Yeah. <laughs> my uh, my life has been spiraling out of control and I don't have time for anything. So uh, once again, I watched this movie at four in the morning and it's, it's weird. It's a weird feeling when the sun isn't up and you're watching uh, the football players fly through the air and it's kind of boring, kind of mesmerizing. And I, I was th- sitting there being like, I might be dreaming this. This might not be real. <laughs> well, just like things kept happening because I watched the movie first again. And so like I really didn't know what was going to And I had never seen it. Didn't even know it existed. Things that I was like, now what are we doing? We're in court now? What's this? Really? Like everything that happened. I was like, where are we going now? I did. I, I was not intrigued by what we were doing at all. Right, right. I had to rent this movie oh. because it's not on Disney Plus for whatever oh, reason. Oh. And I'm pretty mad about that. Yeah, I had to rent it on YouTube. Imagine <laughs> how mad I am to discover that I owned this on Blu-ray. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> now I have to like ha- have, this, yeah, have this on my shelf forever. Oh my God, are you okay? Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it was like cheap. If I, I think it came with the other movie, but... Um, you know, I mean, I own a lot of sketchy, weird DVDs, but Johnny, come on. I'm the, I'm the only one here who uh, probably doesn't own a single Saw movie, so I have that going for me. Uh, the first movie has a story. It ha- oh, there they are. Yeah. The first movie has a story. It has an A plot, and it, it and that plot is Professor Invents Flubber. Great. And then every little thing that happens is an extension of that. This is a movie that has no A plot, just a bunch of tiny C plots that come from nowhere, pretty much. Like, and, and you know, if, if once you think like, oh, this is what the movie is about. Oh, it's all about him like bugging the government to get paid for his invention. Well, then that's dropped entirely. Or, or oh, it's about uh, people t- wanting to franchise Flubber and offering him money to uh, make products. Oh no, that gets dropped entirely. So it's like, yeah, it, it, up until the very end of this movie, you're still struggling to figure out what the hell am I watching and why? What matters, what doesn't? And I say very little bit matters. And I think Professor Brainerd is a really bad scientist. He's not good. Yeah. He's not doing safety or due diligence or like 
start small, get big experiments. Like, eh, he, he's a danger to himself, society, <laughs> and the world at large. Going off of him being a bad scientist, like, he's not even paying attention to what the hell his stuff does. He doesn't yeah. notice that all the glass is breaking. Like, bro, open your eyes. This is part of the scientific, ex like, the scientific um, method is observing what you're doing. But he's not even, he doesn't even notice? Come on. He breaks Every single piece of glass in that town. And he's like, well, who, what was that? Couldn't have been something to do with my bizarre machine that sends waves through the air. What a coincidence. Stupid. Uh, yeah, the first movie, Flubber, is cute. It's a cute little invention. And yeah, you know, it, it does increase in energy and whatnot. But, you know, he has it under control. He has that glove that, like, grabs it out of the air. And then everything's fine. Uh, in this movie, I became more and more confident that this guy is going to bring about the end of the world. Like, this is one of these things that's like, oh, look, I, I invented a gas that will create clouds and rain on vegetables and make giant vegetables. Neat, huh? It's like, oh, no, these, these things are, you know, six months later, everyone's going to have cancer of some kind. It's They're all going to die. Immediately, yeah. he's like, I made a little puddle in my kitchen. Next thing, I'm flooding the whole county. He jumps <laughs> so far. And like, you don't want to flood a whole county. What's wrong with you? Why is that your goal? That's a that's a piss joke too. That that that's the the weird yeah, thing I about know. that. Scene, that was the uh, where it's uh, like, for the oh. listener because I'm assuming you didn't watch <laughs> Son of Flubber. The there the, he 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 makes his first cloud in the kitchen out of a little steam coming out of a tea kettle. And the cloud rains, and then Betsy comes in thinking the dog wet the floor, and Ned Brainerd is saying things such as, I did That it. was me, yeah. Betsy, and I've got bigger plans yet. Divorce him. <laughs> Can I also say, this is just like an irritation of mine with formatting to make the joke land better, and it didn't in the book. It made me so mad. Okay, so in the movie, he's like, oh, it was me. Um, and next, I'm going to flood the county. And then there's a beat while she reacts. And she's like, what? Like, what are you <laughs> who did I marry? And then he's like, it's my machine, blah, 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 blah. I did this. And then she's like, oh, okay, now I'm annoyed again, right? In the book, they do it all in one paragraph. So there's no time for the joke to land. It's like, he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. It was me. I um, Next, I'm going to flood the county. It's my wonderful machine, blah, blah, blah. Instead of giving her, I know it's so minor, it's so minor, but everything matters when you write something. Don't be lazy. I got so angry. I'm like, all, all you needed was like, it was me. Uh, next, I'm going to flood the county. Um, Betsy balked, whatever. He continued on, oblivious to her, whatever, right? right? And then like, there, that's done. a great. Easy. That's That's a great point. The writing in the book is very reporting on what's happening happening and not conveying what's happening it's very ned said this and then you know we only really get interiority on characters when the interiority bleeds over into exteriority we really only get mm -hmm. things from betsy's perspective when she is compelled to speak or when she is compelled to act we don't get glimmers of she was feeling very uncertain about this it's almost once again doing so much tutoring for middle school tests it's almost third person limited completely. It's almost we know what's going on with Brainerd, but nobody else. That's the trappings, though. I'm, and I mean, I think that's also the trappings and also the failings of its own format that it's for some reason we're in Biff's head and he's the one telling us all of this. But also, how does he know that all this stuff is happening inside Brainerd's head? When, like, yeah. uh, also, you're obsessed. 
Get away from him. Stop <laughs> hanging out with him. Why are you always in his house, bro? That, I was like... Chunks of this book where I forgot that it was technically a first-person narration. Then it would jump yeah. back into Biff's perspective in a way that was so jarring and off-putting. Well, because then the whole time we're expected to believe Biff's just standing there silent. Or, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Or sometimes he's just crouched in the bushes outside the freaking house. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> My favorite part of the book, page 43, is... Uh, his girlfriend, Biff's girlfriend, Mickey, actually calls him out and says, this is creepy. Why are you always listening in and eavesdropping on the professor and Betsy, you freak? Uh, I think you're disgusting. <laughs> always peeking and listening in on them, Mickey said. Where do we go? And then there's this whole thing about the dining room and the window being... And then she says, for God's sake, she hissed. Do you have to go on muttering fantastic things about the roof being crooked? They'll hear us. And if they knew we were spying on them, I think I'd die. It's, uh, yeah, I, he is so obsessed with, like, I have to tell the professor's story, but I need to know everything about it, even when I'm not there. And then sometimes he is in certain scenes that he's not in in the movie. You know, next week, uh, Hannah and Andrew, you're going to a wedding. I won't be there. It would be weird if I wrote a book about the goings-on of the wedding, uh, even though I was never there. And it's like, and then Robin told me that, that you know, Andrew got up and embarrassed himself. I the wish there speech. were chapters in this book that were more, like... That's what I and was going to say. You know, Ned told me what had yes, happened, and yes, then you just yes, got the yes, fucking yeah. story. Because uh, it's I, insane how much Biff is inserted <laughs> into scenes in this book. Several times, just like he shouldn't he be there. Several times he replaces <laughs> Charlie the dog. Scenes in the movie that he's talking to Charlie. <laughs> yes. Suddenly he's talking to Biff. Uh, we we've seen this a little bit in other books. And it's always a lighter oh, like touch than this. like the great Gatsby? <laughs> no. Yeah, like Gatsby. <laughs> but like effectively when, done. When, Gats, when, when Nick is going, uh, you know, I, don't, I, I wonder what Gatsby did in his gangster life. Well, actually, I remember watching him as I crouched in the bushes. Um, <laughs> he broke a bunch of guys' legs. That's what he feels guilty about. <laughs> Goonies similarly has a character narrating who is not at most of the, where the action takes place. He, it's, well, it's Johnny. Chunk. I don't He's think that's the, true. That book has a whole chapter. It's like, and now yes. a story. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but Johnny, that's a break from format. Most of that book is third person, and then there's an entire chunk chapter. Oh, is that? Um, oh, forgive me. I is, I thought I remembered that chunk narrating the whole thing. No, most of Go this is a side note. Most of Goonies is first person from. The Sean Astin boy. Oh, okay. Name. Yeah, this is coming and back. And then he's like, and then Chunk told me a story. And then oh, it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all in caps so for I'm, chapter. Sorry I, to jump in and correct you. But no, no, I that makes sense. Had to. For me, the, the, the reference points here are we've seen this, as I said in the intro, in Greece, where the one character does go. He has one weird thing where, he, where he's... Like, oh, I stood in one room and I heard the girls arguing about something. They, they pull this Biff shit in Greece once. But the rest of it is him going, they told me later. And I imagine it went down like this. And then in Clueless, there's the scene where she goes upstairs and she goes, of course, there was a PA system built into the house so I could hear Daddy and Josh arguing downstairs. Right. And, you know, it's, it's cute when you do it once. This book is really going... Biff is everywhere. Biff sees everything. He is involved in everything. And we must mention, so, uh, you know, I, we've, we've described this dynamic already. The book starts with, my name is Biff Hawk. Well, Alonzo Hawk Jr. And then it's just all him. It's like, oh, immediately, oh my God, we're, it's, this is going to be all Biff all the time. And they do have the dynamic of he's going to narrate everything evolve by, he describes that he serves Professor Brainerd 
because he imagines that Professor Brainer essentially needs a guardian angel. And then his girlfriend, Mickey, comes to feel the same way about Betsy. And I would say the only interesting thing that comes out of this, the only impressive thing, is the plot turn where Ned and Betsy are in a fight and Biff goes, Mickey, we got to fix this. And Mickey is like, I am an advocate for Betsy and she has been wrong. So we are at odds as well. (laughs) Good for She was right. Mickey. Yeah. I feel like the only reason that this was written in Biff's voice was that so the author could have the excuse to write as the character and then have as many run-on sentences as he wanted because like, oh, that's how teenagers talk. That's why I'm like sloppily writing this thing. Uh, There's also a lot of typos and uh yeah. and uh mistakes yeah. in te- like yes well uh sometimes characters will be referred to as the wrong person and mm-hmm. i i had to reread a few things out loud saying like wait is this on purpose is this why are two people being referred to professor brainerd this is just a mistake i think yeah uh it, but it was very I feel like confusing. in the court speaking of like formatting during the court sequence at the end it just goes into like a Q&A transcript yes. which is the height of laziness yeah. well, there's no justification for that well, especially when you have a screenplay to reference mm-hmm. so that's already yeah. written for you so you're just like taking the dialogue as someone who has read just enough Perry Mason books which do occasionally fall into hard cross-examination dialogue back and forth there's a good way to do this and it's not what the son of flubber is doing uh yeah it was a real lazy move of like oh god only 10 more pages let me just do the transcript now but there was a perry mason reference in that trial scene and i knew that you must have responded well to that i mean it got me through the last 10 pages of book (laughs) or whatever like I because I because I uh, um read a physical copy which I'm sure you guys did too, and I was like, oh man, so we still we still gotta go through this freaking trial, and like there are three pages left. Like, what? How are we gonna do this? And then it was so fast. I was honestly relieved because I didn't want to have to read any more of it. I was like, oh okay, we'll just like get through this. But I was mad at how just slapdash and sloppy the entire book was. Which, like, also, I guess, is kind of in the spirit of the movie as well. It was, like, also slapdash and sloppy. The movie's, like, funny, though. The movie did have... I did chuckle. (laughs) No, I kind of went, like, huh, a couple times (laughs) in the movie. In the book, I was not... I was... I was stone-faced, just flipping pages. <laughs> the movie does have a lot of, like, good character actors in this. I'd say even more than the first movie. I uh, I do think that Keenan Wynn is kind of wasted this time around. He should be the main villain, and he's not really. Although he does get that mm-hmm. great scene when he says, like, hey, we could go around the country breaking windows and me fixing, selling them new windows. We'll be millionaires. Um, I, uh, But, you know, you do get, uh, again, uh, uh, uh Edwin as his father uh, coming back at the trial at the end, and you get uh, William Demarest, who would go on to star in uh, My Three Sons with a... Pause. I gotta talk about Edwin and Keenan Wynn for a second, who I just learned are father and son, because they look the exact same age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It's crazy. Yeah, Keenan Wynn looked 50 when he was, you know, 16. You can see young Keenan Wynn movies, and he already looks like an old man. It's weird. It's disturbing. I don't know. It really freaked so me. So you're out. telling me the judge and Hawk Senior are father and son? Not no, the not judge. the judge. The, the 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 agricultural witness at the end who, you know. Oh, I was Mad like, Hatter. now this is a radish. That guy. Yeah, the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland, whose voice you recognize. Do you think that Ned Brainerd is 
an old man whose mind is slipping away. And that's why that in his imaginings of his genius, the reason that his inventions are genius keeps changing. Where he's going, oh, it's a weather gun. It breaks glass. It makes food big. It feels like dream logic. Yeah, like maybe the in the reality is, is that Betsy left long ago. <laughs> and he's just like imagining that he can get it was her a back. gun. It was a gun that put a hole in Betsy. And after a, yeah. a hospital stay, she... He never saw her again. And so he spends yeah. all of his time imagining that it was a gun that brought good to his life. The little illustrations on the back of the book, right, where Ned is portrayed as a little stinker. You guys see these, <laughs> I... right? His expression is like eyebrows, like a uh, schemey, big smile. He... This is how I feel he truly is. <laughs> he is not some harmless doofus. He's a little fucking stinker who's causing problems. Oh, there were no illustrations in the book, right? No. Did yeah, I? No, I just, yeah, and that, that was like one of the best parts of the last yeah, book. Yeah, those are great. Well, this is bizarre. The first book is essentially a picture book uh, that has some text in it, but takes 20 minutes to read. And then the second one, for Son of Flubber, is a book. It's real. You have to read it, and you have to open it, and then you stay in there a while, and then yeah. you have to close it. It's, it's, you know, it's got thickness. It has a third dimension. It's just a weird Maybe move for the sequel. children's movies don't need adult novelizations. Yeah, I agree. Hot take. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, it, it's just something you, you picked up for 35 cents. Uh, you know, fits in your pocket. It's a pocket edition. Uh, but yeah, I it, it's a weird one to get one because I don't think that the sequel was as big of a hit. It was seen as something of a misfire even at the time. So I don't think anyone really likes it all that much. There's not a, a lot of defenders of Son of Flubber. I liked it fine, the film. Uh, I liked Hannah... it better than The Absent-Minded Professor. Oh, really? You liked it oh, better. wow. Yeah. Okay, no, I really want to hear this then. I think because Son of Flubber has more, like, actual gags and jokes. Hmm. Like, it has punchlines. And it made me chuckle. Okay. In a way that the absent-minded professor did not, and the absent-minded professor made me very angry. And Son of Flubber distracted me with jokes enough that while I was watching the movie, so I texted Andrew about this. I was like, "I'm watching the movie first in the hopes that it will win me over to Ned Brainerd, so that I won't hate him as much when I go to read the book," which seems to be the experience of others on the previous episode. It didn't work exactly, but I was like, "This is a fun movie. I'm having fun. I'm laughing." Fine. I think this movie goes for more. And the book made me so mad. <laughs> I, I think this movie yeah. goes for more laughs than the first one. But I think the first one has like some charm that this one is largely mm, missing. Maybe. Son of Flubber like looks better too. I don't know if it's oh, just think? like the transfer I watched compared to the transfer mm. of Absent-Minded mm. Professor on Disney Plus. But Absent-Minded Professor looked muddy as shit. Like it's for oh, the really? benefit of the special effects to an extent that it looks kind of grimy and smudgy. Mm. But Son of Flubber, crisp, clean, good contrast, felt watchable in a way. I like the look of the basketball game more than the football game. I think that, like, mm. uh, in the, the, the physical gags of, you know, tackling versus, like, leaping high up in the air of a gymnasium and, like, you know, you know, flying up to the basket. I, I just think that the basketball game looks more fun. And I think that, like, the physical stuff in the original movie just has... Uh, a better look to it just you know you, you, you get a, a lump of flubber and you bounce it off the wall you know what that looks like 
in this we're dealing with molecular gas and that's like just yeah. not as much fun little rain clouds okay, in but the every kitchen. time he activates the gas it makes a little like yeah that, little oh, yeah, like cutie little, little sound and it reminded me of like what's the 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 canine crunchies song from 101 dalmatians and i was like oh <laughs> every cute, single time it played i was very tickled I agree that the football game antics, sure, the commentary was great. But when we were watching the actual game and we were seeing, God, what is his name again? He. Oh, uh, Humphrey. 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 Humphrey, like, bounce around. I did not give a shit about him. I was like, let him float away into space. I don't care. Well, he's too passive to care about almost this character in the movie. Yeah. He's, he's just like, oh, you want to pump me full of flubber gas? Uh, okay. I, Johnny, speaking of your, uh, you talking about how, how the flubber ball looks good and it's fun, it's a fun idea. I feel like these two ideas are connected. The, the idea of the, in the first movie, he happens upon the big invention very early. And then the big invention plays into the movie a ton, right? He's throwing the flubber ball around. We've got Alonzo Hawk Sr. bouncing up and down. Yeah. And that's, there's a lot of flubber going on in The Absent-Minded Professor. And the double mistake to me of SOF, as I've come to call it, is that there's not a lot of flubber. There's a lot of talk of what flubber gas will be like mm-hmm. that you have to wait all movie for. And this new invention that is allegedly what the movie is about, it's a movie about realizing that new invention, not absentmindedly happening upon it. And mm-hmm. so the new invention has less of a presence in Sof, as I, as I think of it these days, than, uh, than Flubber did in Absent-Minded Professor. It feels like a movie that is thinking about how cool it would be as opposed to doing cool things. Isn't the better mm. version of Son of Flubber cloudy with a chance of meatballs? Big time, Hannah. You try and change the weather and you end yeah. up with crazy shit falling out of the sky? Nailed it. Um, uh, you know, in the beginning of the, of the, the movie, uh, the, the little company men show up and they offer Betsy a fur coat and a check for $1 million. And then they play this little movie about all of the inventions they want to make with Flubber. It's like, ooh, Flubber gum, you chew it while you sleep or Flubber shoes and Flubber this, Flubber that. And I wanted to see all of those things, not as theoretical, like we could invent these things. I just wanted to see what that would be like. And instead we get something that's just not like fun it, it's it's just uh mm-hmm. it's it, it requires too much imagination like even the rain ends up being invisible Ooh, dry rain oh that's my edwin <laughs> yeah to the film's credit and not to the book's credit because i didn't think it played as funny in the book in because also the whole time i was just like wait so biff's just like in the corner watching this the whole time <laughs> and <laughs> And because he had traveled there with the professor, so it meant that both of them had to be there for the whole time, whereas, like, in the movie, we come in and it's, like, all happening before the professor gets there. She's, like, inundated with all these gifts, blah, blah, blah. So in the movie, he's – the professor is, like, frozen and just standing there watching while all these company men give her all this stuff. And he's not saying anything the whole time, which, like, was very distracting to me because I was like, what are they doing? But in the movie, I thought it played out – I thought it was like really funny, all the gifts they were giving her. They're like pearls and a sable coat and these poodles. I was like, poodles? They gave her two poodles. And then I I did think the physical comedy of her trying to keep the 
check away from him was very funny. Whereas in the book, it kind of read, I know it was kind of infantile, but like it read as really infantile in the book. And misogynist. Um, it's, it's very like, now, yeah. now, dear, now give them their check back. And and by the way, yeah. you can't take that new job that you want because no mind of what. Yes. What wife of mine will work. Uh, yeah. But in the movie, it, com- it comes off as like, I don't know, like they're just struggling over it and it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just a testament to to their physical comedy skills. Probably, I, I think in the movie, Betsy is acting that she knows she must give the checkup, but she mm-hmm. wants she's sort of pouting about it. She wishes yeah. she didn't have just to. just let me pretend. And the yeah. book is really not describing that well enough. And so it seems like she's going, I will not give this back. Yeah. Nancy Olson is bringing a sort of like playful wit to it mm-hmm. that even when she's doing things that could be a little bit sexist, you can tell that she is a, an actress and a character is like, wink, a little winky about it, a little self-aware. Yeah. And the book is not giving her that benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. in the slightest. Yeah, you, you can tell she kind of runs that household in the movie. but uh, Of course yeah. she does. Her husband's a fuck up. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, he is. But like the part where the IRS man comes. And they're like scrounging for pennies <sighs> together. Yeah. I already checked the couch. A great line. <laughs> right. Yeah. Really like a funny little bit of like, they're a team in this. And he's checking yeah. pockets. And she's like, I've scrounged this together. And they're making it work as a team while explaining to this IRS man that they literally have no money to pay this insane bill. Which like, fuck mm-hmm. the IRS. They're constantly pulling that shit with me. I get yeah. it. Um, that's very funny and playful and charming in the movie. And in the book, it just feels like, I don't know, bad? Yeah, she's like pestering him for money. Like she's holding out her hand and just waiting. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. And it doesn't help that there's like a teenage boy whose dad's a millionaire standing in the room in the park. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's just there. I keep forgetting he was there the whole time. He's always just there. Being like, I would have helped, but I wasn't carrying money today. Like, fuck you, there- Biff. <laughs> dude, exactly. It's like, dude, they're, they're struggling in front of you because, and you know what? His book girlfriend... She sees, and she's, you know what? Look for the helpers. That's what I say. That's what I've always said. <laughs> the moment she realizes that the Brainerds are not going to be able to throw a good dinner party, she's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to fix this. I don't want her to be embarrassed. And mm-hmm. she does. God bless you, Mickey mm-hmm. girlfriend. Mickey girlfriend. <laughs> I, I don't want to make the entire episode about Biff's narration, but let me read this part where the book goes, I know this is weird. Let me explain. So- Okay. On page 21, we've been reading this weird Biff perspective version of Son of Flubber. And uh, Biff stops down to go, Right here, I want to explain just how it was that I was in on most of everything that happened after that trip to the Pentagon when the secretary gave Professor Brainerd the stall instead of the dough everybody in Medfield was expecting. I either was right there where everything happened or I was looking on and listening in. And this doesn't mean I was a lousy snoop either. It does. It was just (laughs) that from the first day I ever saw Professor Brainerd, when I entered Medfield College as a freshman and passed him on the campus reading a book with his handkerchief draped over his head and his hat sticking out of his hip pocket, I decided that this guy needed help. I mean, I spotted him for a genius when everybody else except Betsy Boughton, she was then, was laughing at him. And even though I didn't know biophysics from Bye Bye Blackbird, and I didn't have any idea I'd get hooked by the stuff, a big dumb lug like me, I elected myself Professor Brainerd's friend and looker after. 
And then he has the he has the observation. It was rough in the days when he was a bachelor before he found Flubber and married Betsy because between us, his housekeeper and I had to get him out of his home lab to eat and sleep and get haircuts and get to school on time for his first class and, well, it was worse than riding herd on a country boy you want to make the grade because you need this him at tackle. <laughs> should not be married. Okay. He should be in an asylum. He should I be am... in a sanitarium being cared for I because agree. he's like not a fucking adult. Now look, I no, am... can't do it. I have struggled in the past with self-care coming from a place of mild addiction. I, I felt a little set back when I was like 24 and got sober. I was like, how do I clean myself? You know, I was very much like a 14-year-old in a 24-year-old's body. Even I was reading this and going like, this man is fucking unwell. And Fred McMurray's well, like fucking 58 years old. Yeah. He can't yeah. get himself to class on time. No wonder he's not a full professor. He's only an associate professor. Well, he, he hasn't earned it. He couldn't get to his own wedding. I, I feel like we lose yeah. a lot of, uh, despite the description in the book, I think we lose a lot of his absent-minded qualities that were in the first film. In this, he is just mm-hmm. kind of a, a jerk. Uh, and, 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 uh, indifferent to all the chaos he's causing, like uh, uh, it's it's uh, it, it's not inadvertent. It's just a side effect that, like, uh, when he finds out about it, he just shrugs it off. It's uh, yeah, I, I miss the like whoopsie element from the first one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. in the first one he's absent-minded. In the second one, he it feels like if he didn't have someone to tell him to go home, he'd go to sleep on railroad tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like. Part- Maybe can he consent? Can he consent? This is just a great. Can he? Is he like there enough to do that? Like that's just my question. Is it is it ethical? Bill billboards on the highway that are are like uh, before before <laughs> you do it is either of you absent minded? Think about <laughs> it. I wish he was a little more whoopsie daisy. You guys are so right about that. yes. Midway through the movie, they're having the dinner party. He's midway through putting on his jacket when Betsy tells him that it's Shelby who's coming over for dinner, right? And I was like, oh, a perfect (laughs) moment for absent-mindedness. He won't finish putting on his jacket when he goes to answer the door, or he'll put it on, like, crook backwards or something fucking silly. (laughs) Nope. He just puts it on normal and continues to be an asshole. And, like, yells at her. Yeah. Missed opportunities for, like, charming absent-mindedness replaced with cruelty and unpleasantness you guys have to remind me when the episode comes out to post a twitter poll can the absent-minded professor consent (laughs) (laughs) well like also okay i i would be upset if i forgot to bring up the halloween party because Mm. his behavior at the halloween party and i don't mean trying to sneak out some food because i steal food from crafty every time i go Okay, that's not what I'm talking and about. It's always what in ta- an instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I bring my big trombone and I put <laughs> all of my, or he has a saxophone. Get it. No, trombone is good. You made it your own. I like that. Yeah, I made it my own. I just hold the trombone this like up. <laughs> all it holds is like an apple. Um, but I was so mad at him. I was so mad at him. Because there's only so much leeway that being absent-minded can get you. So, like, do not tell me when when your ex-lover, first of all, you're not an idiot. You know that she wants to bag you. You know that. You know that. You are not that stupid. When she's like, oh, like, play the sax. 
you can very easily just be like, sorry, I have to go. That's not being absent-minded. And you know that your wife is going to be there and you know that she feels hurt by the relationship that you have with this woman. Really? You're going to start playing the saxophone so she can salsa dance around you? Really? Get real. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a, a moron. It almost feels like he's so stupid that he doesn't real. I'm really stuck on the Kenny consent thing. It almost feels like he's so <laughs> stupid that he doesn't realize that pretty ex-girlfriends mean sex or infidelity. He's like, well, she's just his here. Wife she's a, tells him she's a close friend of mine. It just feels like he's like he's socially stunted. But I don't care about. The, so here's the thing, right? He can fine, fine. You're so socially stunted that you can't read the signs that this woman's trying to get. I'm on not you. defending him. He seems just <laughs> stupid no, 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 no. as bricks. But even if, right? Even if your wife told you, your wife told you, hey, it really hurts me that you like continue to. Um, like have a relationship with this person that like really, really hurts my feelings. And it's not, I'm not letting you see people. I'm not whatever. She's like literally saying like, this feeling sucks for me because she is like this woman from your past and you guys apparently have these like meet and in the book it's even worse because she's like, you guys have all these meetings like with without me, all this stuff. And he, instead of being like, oh, I see that this is hurting you. And I'm, you know what? Is it really worth it for me to have this relationship with this woman? Is she contributing anything to my life? Not really anything. Instead, he's like, she's not that kind of girl. Think. Think. Yeah. You cannot say that to <laughs> your wife. You cannot say that to your wife. Especially after saying you can't be friends with your ex, Shelby exactly. Easton. Like, exactly. totally unacceptable to be like, I can be friends with my sexy ex who clearly wants to fuck me, but you can't even talk to that man. Unacceptable. Yeah. I don't even think she and yeah. Shelby smashed. No, I think no. they just went out the, a little. They the danced. book almost implies it. The, the The book sort of suggests that they used to go out, not just while well, he was also courting for her affection. Uh, but yeah, it is weird that uh, in the first movie, he barely sees Shelby as a threat. He's almost amused no. by him. And in this, he really doesn't like him, like from jump. Like, you put a ring on it, dude. Yeah. Relax. Mm -hmm. Relax. She's put up with so much shit already. Maybe yeah. you can trust her. She's proven mm. herself to you. She waited for you three times for a wedding. Yeah. And Desiree, whatever, is shows up out of nowhere after like 20 years. And you're going to mm -hmm. put her above your beloved wife? Mm-hmm. Who supposedly you love so much? Come on, Ned. I know. I did love Desiree, though. I did. She's fun. <laughs> think she was very fun and i really yeah, enjoyed no, seeing yeah, her I, I did like it her sounds like she's had five husbands who all died which is I really it. sexy of her <laughs> i love it she's a black widow yeah, i love baby. it love it love it do you think she's a black widow or do you think she's just dating men with fortunes that are 102 i think she's dating very elder i mean who maybe a little bit of both yeah both are good for me i like it for yeah her. she's having fun. i loved her She's the running goal, around Paris. The goal is to mm. is to date an old man until he trusts you enough to ask for euthanasia. That's that's the real <laughs> that's the sweet spot. She's also sort of absorbing their personalities because she used to be this like you know s sweet little farm girl mm -hmm. uh, and has now uh, adopted this European personality and name. I couldn't tell. Did she change her name to be more European or? Is this long string of names just uh, what she has inherited from each of her ex-husbands? Well, it wouldn't change your first name. So it that doesn't yeah, make sense. Desiree. Yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, she was fun. She went to Europe and she was like, I'm going to be hot yeah. now. Yeah. I'm going to make the most of yes. this. And good for her. 
I also love the idea. I love the idea that like, really, she doesn't really want to fuck Ned. Like she, she would, but I think I like the idea of more that she's just like, I'm addicted to being the center of attention and being the most in a room. And like, I want everyone in this room to fall in love with me. And if Ned so happens to, I don't know, tend your garden. Okay. That's not my problem. <laughs> her like sexy little flapper Halloween costume. Really cute. Mm-hmm. Oh, Good loved for it. her. And I loved when she was, I mean, I felt bad for Betsy, but when she's like, oh my gosh, me, the madcap. Like I, <laughs> I could not. And she's like, and you're just so mm, sweet. (laughs) And then she shows up the Halloween party where she's like, what are you, a peasant? How funny. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. She's very funny. I did like her. We've almost moved past a thing that we must discuss, which is we talked about putting food in instruments. But the reason that that's even being discussed is because this book clarifies, as we've said, that these men are so much stupider than the first movie suggested and when betsy storms off because she and ned are having trouble we get this chapter that says well no there were a couple of other little things that happened before the big game that i ought to tell you about first there was the halloween party at desiree's place now of course we were all a little past the age of playing trick-or-treat but the thing was we were hungry the professor and humphrey hacker and i and with betsy gone there was nothing to eat at 611 litchfield or if there was Brainerd couldn't find it. Now, I understand that she cooks. I get that. But the way that this plot suddenly veers from things are going on related to Flubber and the weather gun to the woman has left the house and we are truly unable to feed ourselves. We cannot find food. We do not know where food is sold. We do not have money to buy it if we do find it. The best plan we have is to go to the Halloween party and sneak food out in a saxophone it is this is a movie playing with larger themes or trying to going he has a new invention he's having marriage problems uh he's been jilted by the military as johnny said they're throwing all this stuff at the wall big ideas it is so deeply strange that the movie changes direction to go now that the woman is gone they need a dang snack i don't appreciate the like we need a mommy situation like you're adults i I get it as a comedic device for the professor this guy although he did used to well he used to live on his own but he had his housekeeper who is not nearly uh represented enough in the movie uh but yeah so i get it as a device for him but i reread the sequence twice where suddenly biff and humphrey are in the little ghost skeleton costumes whichever it is and they're pertaining to trick-or-treat and, I was, and i'm thinking wait why is this happening why and i re- reread it twice and then i gave up i said well i'm sure when i rewatch the movie it'll make sense and i watched the movie again and i still don't get it it's such a dumb joke it's a dumb device and just it- fill your saxophone and walk out yeah. the door yeah he can just leave then he wouldn't have gotten stuck dancing with desiree for his wife to see And after they've had a phone call where she's like, oh, you poor thing at home alone. She's kind of gloating about it, but she is starting to warm back up to how pathetic he is. Then he shows up at this party and she's like, oh, so I guess you aren't sad. I guess you're going to flirt with your hussy. (laughs) Like it's, yeah, it's a bad situation. Now, did I miss it or did they not include in the book her Dutch 
accent? That's yeah, I think that's omitted from the book because the author couldn't okay. figure out how to do it. But uh, that is a great scene that shows that uh, you know Betsy is capable of being a little sex bot herself. And uh, the whole little mm-hmm. Swedish accent thing was really doing it for me. Sorry, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, she looked great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I first saw her, I was like, <gasps> and I like that she's like standing up for herself. She's like hot she's... and on her own and independent. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, girl. Show that man. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know that thing of where they say like, if your significant other is not in the house and your life all of a sudden gets easier. Think about that. Mm. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Betsy, what do you, what do we think Shelby's costume is? Be like a creature. From so the wait, black wait. Woman? I have a like, question. Is... I have a question before we talk about that. So if I'm always leaving okay. the house and when I'm gone, my life gets really hard and I can't eat. I can't find food. <laughs> is my relationship going well? <laughs> <laughs> and you try to eat dog food? <laughs> I try to eat dog food. And you try food. to eat actual dog food? I tried to eat stale chocolates that I found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. a little bit sweet in the movie when he goes to eat the dog food and then Charlie the dog is like so sad. He's like, okay, well, I got to feed my dog. Mm-hmm. That's a little sweet. In the book, there's a section where Biff is like, <laughs> that's my professor always thinking of others first. And I was like, no, he's not. He's straight up not always thinking of others. He's trying to eat the dog's food. Are you ill? (laughs) I'm like, he's so shitty to his wife. He's not thinking of her. And in the book, it's like Biff is there, of course, because he has to report back on this. So he's like, oh, the professor got it out and I would have eaten it. But the professor saw the dog. And so it was like Humphrey was the one that was going to eat it. But then the professor. And I was like, you can't I you can't keep doing this to me. You can't keep making me read this. We got to get Biff in more novelizations. We got to have Biff in Eyes Wide Shut being like, the crazy thing is I was in one of the masks at the party. I couldn't (laughs) believe my buddy, Dr. Harford, was doing this. His like golly gee self at this point. He would would leave a different man. He would be like destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) He comes out as Alonzo Hawk Sr. (laughs) Uh. But what is Shelby's costume? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I thought it was like, it it was almost because it became a diving bell thing when he was drowning. So at first I thought, oh, wait, is it a, is he a knight? He has this like helmet, like in, uh, you know, like Rufus Sewell in A Knight's Tale, sort of like that. Um, (laughs) I I, I thought it was that at first, but yeah, it is, it is bizarre. I I don't get it. He has like a, you know, like a snorkel mask and maybe flippers. Yeah, he did have flippers. Yeah, for him flipping out. When he like walks Betsy out to the car and like his funny little flippers, funny little gag. Yeah. That is funny. Maybe he well, is also when he like creature of the Black Lagoon or something. They do call him that, so maybe that is what he is. Well, I like then I guess how sort of homemade that costume feels. That's fun. Yeah, it is fun. I'm pro Shelby. There it is again. I am too, honestly. Hashtag Shelby did nothing wrong. I honestly feel like, okay, he's a little bit mean to the absent-minded professor, but like he should be mean. Oh my God. My cat. Okay. Oh my God. Hold on. Noodle, no. We all been there with a cat. Shelby innocent. Okay. Shelby innocent. Uh, okay. I, are we just ignoring the fact that uh, the professor marries Betsy, the, the the woman that Shelby loves, and his first move is 
let me track down the professor's ex-girlfriend so I can have her Yeah, I think Shelby's a piece of shit in this book. But in the first one, he's resourceful. In the first one, he's like, the the love of my life is dating another man, and I'm I'm there for her a lot, and I really hope things turn in my favor. I don't like him. He treats her badly, and he reads that right. But at the point where they're married and he's going, I'm actively sabotaging. I bet I can still get a little something. I bet I can turn this whole thing around. I don't love that. I, I can imagine, though, what Shelby is doing is going, this is not going to work out. And I know yeah. that. That is obvious. Because look at this man. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be there to pick up the pieces when she realizes that I'm the better guy for her. And in the meantime, I happen to find a European woman well, who might put a hiccup in things. So here's the thing. I, I think that uh, this is up for debate. Is uh, is he actually dating Desiree or does he just enlist her services? He calls her over and says, okay, let's pretend to date. You'll get the professor. I'll get Betsy happily ever after for us. Are they even claiming to date? I think they are. I th- I didn't see them claiming to date. No, it's his uh, friend. A plus one. It's like a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I Another person to round out thing. the table. Oh, okay. I think, That's yeah, I, I, I thought he was very enterprising. I liked that he, the, <laughs> the amount of work that he probably had to do to track down this woman. First of all, he had to like do research on the professor like find out like what who has he dated in the past it's shocking he's dated someone in the past okay oh (laughs) sorry i just remembered how like biff is like oh my god the professor was such a big man on campus back in the day i was like stop you freak well well, but here's the thing so was fred mcmurray i mean yeah you see young fred mcmurray movies and uh oh sure fred mcmurray sure Ned Brainerd, notorious doofus. I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah, think so. no, I don't see it either. When he says to Desiree, it's like, oh, we sure used to have some fun together. I'm thinking, you did? What kind of fun? I, yeah. I, I don't know. Playing tiddlywinks? It really feels like he's the kind of man who's never <laughs> dated anyone. And Betsy says, I'm going to marry that guy. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Like, he's not pursuing women. No. no. He's busy doing science. And she's yeah. like, that's for me. Here's here's a question. Which is crazy. We're we've already put on the table, can the absent minded professor consent? And that's an <laughs> open question. Here's a <laughs> new one. Does he get horny? Or is he only romantically involved with women? I mean, I'm he probably like gets a boner and doesn't realize it. <laughs> I mean, it does feel to me like <laughs> Betsy is probably unsatisfied in this marriage in a number of ways. Mm. Oh, for sure. Are you kidding? I think that they he's he gets a little sexed up in each film when he's in the car with Betsy. I think flying in the car, maybe it's oh, a metaphor yes. if you want. So he's hot they, for the flubber and she's Yeah, there. well, yeah. Uh, no, I think it's a flubber-aided uh, thing. But, you know, it's like going to the drive-in. You know, you get a little cuddly, you get a little smoochy. I mean, this is the uh, even better. You're you're hovering over Washington, Washington D.C. I, I don't know. I'm it's just saying, if my there. options were... An absent-minded associate professor who flakes on me nonstop, doesn't pay attention to me, and cannot provide for me financially in the ways that matter to me, right? Or Mm -hmm. the head of the English department at a very successful college who respects me, listens to me when I speak, thinks I'm smart and valuable, and can, like, genuinely take care of me. I think I know who I'm picking. Yeah. And he looks like kind of like Dirk Bogard. Like he's cute. I'll take he's it. He's cute enough. I do not like Shelby's face. I'm I'm <laughs> j- uh, mostly straight, so like my opinion shouldn't matter. But I really don't. I don't like that. I don't find that guy handsome. 
He's not the cutest man he's, who's ever lived, no. but he's fine. He's not uglier than old ass Fred McMurray. Yeah. He's going to die on you mid-sex. <laughs> in between watching and reading Absent-Minded Professor and Son of Flubber, I happened to watch two Elliot Reed movies, uh, you know, our, our Shelby. This guy was everywhere in the 50s and 60s. And like, yeah, I was just happening to, you know, watch some Doris Day movies on TCM and he was in two of them. This guy's everywhere and he's always the same part. He is always the guy who doesn't get the girl, kind of wants the girl. Well, you know, he's less he's less pathetic in some of these movies I watched, but uh, it, it is he he did have his thing, and he was very good at it, I guess. Mm. Mm. I and mean, you know I'm what? often the person who's like, I'd rather go with the Baxter in this romantic mm. comedy. You know, I'm the Bill Pullman in uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Like that's mm-hmm. the guy for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom Hanks mm-hmm. can go screw. <laughs> so like maybe it's not surprising that I'm super pro Shelby, but also the absent-minded professor is undateable. <laughs> Let alone marryable. Mm-hmm. Are you joking? Mm-hmm. Maybe like one time fuckable, and then you're like, I can never. Ew! Uh, I would never. It would fall off and get stuck inside. <laughs> I I I do think it's good that we're spending most of the episode talking about his sexual value. I do think that's good. However, can I comment on one of the weirdest things about this movie to me is that the first movie, which seems to have an uncritical view of the absent-minded professor, sort of tacitly seems to agree with most of his opinions, has him in reverence of the US government and positions Alonzo Hawk Sr as a, a straight-up con man for wanting to sell Flubber to the government. And we commented in that episode how that's just basically how capitalism works. And the absent-minded professor goes, that's, that's horrible that you thought to do that. This movie takes a very strange turn right off the bat where it paints the government as themselves huge ripoffs that take the Flubber and refuse to pay out on it, which I just found... Shocking. I thought that was not the, the, the tenor of the universe we were working in. It felt to me like Walt Disney was ranting about having to pay taxes. And he, it, did feel like it was a, a grumpy old, like, you know, uh, Fox News watching Disney guy. Uh, this is me going, why does the military get $9 trillion? Mm-hmm. What are they doing with it? Playing golf? And yeah. Son of Flubber says, yeah. Hilariously, they are. Yeah, that, that was a good gag. I, I did laugh at the... Uh, the, the military guys with the the caddy bags. Mm -hmm. It's just so bizarre to have that heel turn plot-wise, and the movie's essentially made by the same people. There's not some giant shake-up. Same director. Same Stevenson, he was a pro. He he did all of these. Not so far apart in time, either, to be like, boy, I've been disillusioned by the Kennedy administration. Well, now that Vietnam happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I found that very, very strange. Uh, I wish that that plot went somewhere. It, It effectively is just a way to get what should be a financial windfall off the table and to reset the professor. Now, I was impressed that the book and movie did exist in a post-Flubber world. They obviously had to, but they address that it's everywhere, that it's widely known, which by necessity makes them different from the first movie. But they do try to reset the pieces as much as possible. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Because the government is like, we own the Flubber and we're putting the lid on it and no one can talk about the Flubber. Brainerd, you're not allowed to talk to anybody about the Flubber. It's top secret. He continues to talk to everybody about the Flubber. 
and the ad men know about the flubber. Like, what is... I don't understand what the government, like, what the, I don't understand how it has become wildly known or not, or what the government's going to, do you, do you have a sense of that? I, I have a, uh, I can sort of write how it works, but I don't <laughs> think it's explained. I, my, my, my understanding of this is that the advent of the flubber was huge news that could not be contained. How the flubber works and what applications it will be used for are totally unknown because nobody else aside from Brainerd and the government have gotten their hands on it. So they haven't been able to, it's not like if you had some groundbreaking code that got released on the internet where anyone could use it. People know about the flubber, but they're going, what is it? I can't replicate the flubber. No, it is an accident in the first movie. Although like it's a limited amount of flubber, right? That he has. Uh, I guess he can recreate it because the in the first movie he he has the thing of like oh I I you know he fixes the blackboards like oh and this number goes here and now I know okay um but yeah one of the reasons that everyone knows about the flubber in this is they cite like flubber helped win this big basketball game and they show the the footage of the the of all the you know basketball players jumping up and down and uh but you know that's that was cheating that was supposed to be a secret like ooh, don't tell anyone that i put flubber on your shoes but now it, we're, we're celebrating it i mean the the professor between the basketball game and the football game is a cheater he's like one of many famous cheaters in cinema and television history uh, you know if someone <laughs> wanted to compile a list of such a thing i would love to hear it it might make for a fun <laughs> game i don't know <laughs> Too bad the game today was, can this person consent? <laughs> Would you divorce <laughs> this man? Would you divorce this man? And it's just and picture it's... after picture of Brainerd. Divorce. I threw divorce, one divorce. Shelby in there to try to trip people <laughs> yeah. up. You guys caught it, though. Yeah, we were like, no, Mary. <laughs> no, Mary. Fuck, <laughs> fucking Mary right away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's probably a more ten- attentive lover than the absent-minded professor. He forgets what he's doing halfway through. Like a butterfly flies in and he goes to chase it. <laughs> Guys, if I was a Victorian 13-year-old girl who, who was going to be in an arranged marriage, I don't know how history works, and my two people to be arranged with were the absent-minded professor or Shelby Ashton, I'd jump off the roof. Yeah. Well, because they're both ancient. Compared to you, a Compared child's to you. bride. Yeah, but it's normal at the time. But let's imagine you're Betsy. And who you actually want is Alonzo Hawk for security. That's true. Yeah. You He's got mean. you get a nice bank account right there. Yeah. Don't sign a prenup. Out some of it. <laughs> He's like my second choice. And like it's a big gap, but like I like the stash. I do like the stash. I like it. Fun. He's always yelling, which I kind of think is hot. I feel like Alonzo Hawk could make me laugh. And that's important to me. Well, yeah. And Alonzo Hawk, too, is the kind of person where you can be like, can I say something mean really quick? And he'll yeah. be like, yeah. And you would like have the most fun talking shit about people with him. The way he talks about Biff's mom, I don't love. But no, yeah. I didn't love that. Didn't love like, that. Maybe that's just something. Maybe they just didn't fit well. And that's something I you could, could fix him, on. though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I could fix Shelby. There's not that much wrong with him. I could fix him. And I can fix Paul Lynn. <laughs> I mean, number one best dude in the movies. Yeah. Funny, funny, one. funny. Funny, funny. Something I find incredibly funny about uh, Biff in the book is that they accidentally made a great portrayal 
of a sort of happy-go-lucky kid who was raised by presumably a sexist monster, in that he just, in his happy-go-lucky, aw shucks, run-on-sentence way, says stuff like this. If any woman ever came back into my life after a hundred years or so and started throwing up old memories in front of my wife, I'd stab her with a dull knife. (laughs) But (laughs) But the professor looked as though this were about the best thing that had ever happened to him. Just He just thinks that. He's so aw shucks about, I'd really make it hurt. I'd really get her. Yeah. With a dull knife? This author just wants to be wordy and flowery with the Biff stuff. And the words that are in the sentences do not matter to him. Yeah, and wants to get done with the draft and not do any editing and just send it <laughs> off. Don't look at it ever again. And Pocketbook said, perfect, we're going to print it on pulp and throw it out. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I kind of enjoyed this book simply because the contortions for the Biff stuff were so resplendently stupid. Just, just consistently. Uh, anyway, I was in the air vent that he was breathing through, and that's how I know that he can't get, you know, hard. It's like, okay, Biff, <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> yeah, like, I, for me, I was filled with dread with every scene because I was like, how is he going to, like, finagle himself into this scene? Like, I was just like, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't want any more. What do we think about where the Betsy stuff lands? Better in the movie than in the book. Although in the movie, it's not earned, but at least like Nancy Olson's performance like convinces me, okay, she loves him. They're happy. Uh, there's no real justification for it, but like they get there. In the book, it, it's, it's there, but uh, we, we're missing a scene that, that gets us there. I had this problem in the first movie too. She goes from being mad at him to being like, oh, it's fine. So fast. And he's ne- he doesn't apologize. He doesn't do anything to win her back over. He just continues to be kind of a doofus. And she's like, okay, sweetie, that's not enough for me. He did invent a flying car. And then suddenly she's thinking like, oh, he's going to be richer than yeah. Alonzo Hawk. Maybe. I was, I was mad because like her turn is like, oh, he's on trial. And to mm-hmm. me, I'm like, needs- that's another red flag. You got to get out. He's embroiled in a lawsuit. Justif- justifiably. Like, he should yeah. be. He, yes. he caused massive chaos throughout the town. And it yeah. was very bad. The, um, the kangaroo court. Okay. I don't know if you guys know this. I used to be an attorney. I practiced yeah. for two years in California. So to wow. me. Th- you got to get to the third episode with Kelly. You start getting the good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, he gets lore. <laughs> uh <laughs> But the idea that they're like, you caused all this damage, all this broken glass, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and then they're like, but it actually made all the vegetables grow. I'm like, those two things are not related. One does not solve the other. We still have to figure out the Objection damages irrelevant. Yeah, irrelevant. And honestly, distracting. And frankly, you should be disbarred. I really, I... And it wasn't even an attorney. Immaterial, incompetent, and irrelevant. Thing, it wasn't even an attorney that brought in this, the witness. It was Mickey in the book. In the book, it's Mickey, yeah. Uh, 
the uh yeah suddenly the most important thing in this whole story is gosh our our soil is in this town is really bad you're a collegiate community you're not an agricultural center yeah since when are you like growing corn and cauliflower and tomatoes just down the block come on come on and introducing that problem immediately before the courtroom thing i'm like okay like so this problem that we've never heard of before, we did not know that this was a town that was like a food desert. We did not. <laughs> we didn't know that until right now. Give me a break. Well, I guess that sort of explains why his cupboard is bare. Like, uh, <laughs> like oh, gosh, if only we could have have a decent crop. Yeah. This is a this is a great twist, actually, now that I'm putting it all in perspective. It's like <laughs> the end of Remember Me, except instead of it being, oh, actually, it's 9-11 now, it's... This whole thing was during the potato famine. This is an (laughs) Irish story. It is really funny in the movie when they all come in with that giant vegetable props. Like, those are really Those were funny. Everyone loves that. No, you can't get mad at that. (laughs) It's undeniable. Uh, What do we think of this moment in the book and in the movie that we see in many novelizations where a giant... community altering event happens and they give us nine perspectives on it i mean there's the we get the rogue one moment in this book with people shattering glass and there's just pages and pages of this glass also broke it freaked people out yeah how do we feel about that it's another example that doesn't work when you have biff narrating this it's a fun montage in the movie you just Mm -hmm. oh there's the milkman and all the milk bottles there's the tavern and all the liquor bottles explode uh Oh, the, the the glasses, the windshields, like that. That's so good. But funny like, that little scene with Keenan Wynn just like shouting about how it's not his problem as all of his windows break too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 that's all good. Movie funny. Uh, when it's Biff just recounting this, it's really bland. Even though they're the same scenes, it just it loses that momentum. It's a, it's a, one of the better sequences in the movie and one of the worst in the book. Yeah, I skimmed that part in the book really hard. I was like, wow, we're still talking about this. I'm like, just keep going. Wow, the glasses still yeah, breaking. Still breaking. But I did like it in the movie. Yeah, Leon Ames turns around and his glasses are all, that was cute. I like that. I'm, tr- I'm looking to see if there's any plus ups in the book as to more glass breaking stories, but maybe not. I read it first, so. Hmm. Did Shelby have a vendetta with the police in the first movie because in this movie they hit shelby and the police like it's like it's biff tannin and manure and back to the I, future no like it's that, just gonna keep happening that, that is a happen, carryover right? yeah yeah, yeah. The, because, sa- the same actors yeah the thing was it was funny in the movie i couldn't tell if it was him like i was having trouble like i was having like a face blindness thing with him i was like i don't know who that man is but it would make sense narratively for it to be shelby because he has a like in the part where he's getting car roofed Mm -hmm. and then he crashes and then the guy like spills the coffee on himself so that was like oh he did it again and then the coffee fell on him again it's virtually the same Mm. scene it's the it comes at exactly the same part of the movie it's it's also a car you know him bouncing the car on top of him but this time there's there's the near drowning he's like waterboarding him at this yeah. time yeah fully yeah uh do we need to talk about uh the coda in which biff and mickey move to florida and yeah yeah uh, I, I guess he's going to get involved oh. with the space program eventually is that the implication yeah because he's like oh i might do some aerospace thing there is that just to set up the football and space gag oh is that it oh God. 
Well, yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, because yeah, he's like, oh, after all the satellites. I mean, I think you have it pulled up. Mickey and I are living in Florida. I moved there to be close to Cape Canaveral, figuring I'd latch on there as assistant to some big wheel physicist. But Mickey thought I'd better get something to keep me busy while I was waiting for the call. So I opened up branches of the odd, long, sign, I can't say that, insurance and loan company <laughs> in St. Petersburg and Clearwater. Strictly temporary, you understand. So he becomes what, we, what he hates. Fun, He's become his father. Fun mm. detail. Uh, I guess that's all. Uh, this is just talking about the football. It says, I guess that's all, except I read just the other day where some brain predicted that when all the other satellites now in orbit had finally burned out, or been worn away by, bombard by bombarding meteorites, one would still be making its regular 53 minutes orbit of the Earth. That's the football full of flubber gas I won the Rutland game with. The one that kept on going up after I put it through the goalpost that day. Its scientific name is Hawhacker 1, and there will never be a 2, because the NCAA Rules Committee has outlawed flubber gas, finally, even if I don't think they really believed there ever was any such stuff. End of book. And then I turned the page to an advertisement for Mary Renault's The King Must Die, a book for fucking grownups. The most <laughs> jarring thing I could have possibly seen. Mm -hmm. And then Ripley's double two books in one, believe it or not. Like, what the? Who did I... they think they were selling this book to? Who is this Me? for? Yeah, I, I, I want to read that Ripley's Believe It or Not thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Catfish wearing glasses? Two-headed tortoise? <laughs> okay, the catfish wearing glasses is really cute. That is actually really funny. I would pay to see that. I would. Catfish wearing glasses? Get out of town. Yeah, I have no regrets for having seen the little picture in the back of this book. Yeah. Now I'm happy to have read the whole stinking book. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Roger Fuller. Uh, one, <laughs> one question... Uh, and I'll cut this if if it is in the movie. But is all the stuff about Beverly the chicken in the movie? No, Beverly's no. not a character. Kelly, Kelly, t please explain to our listeners Beverly the chicken. Beverly, this freaking chicken. Okay, I didn't even really understand what happened with this. So of course Biff is telling us, well, the professor he like we the backstory with Beverly is that he did a shrink ray on accident. And then accidentally shrunk the chicken, and the chicken is small? No, he used a flubber ray, and for some reason, the, the flubber ray shrunk the chicken. And Biff goes, oh, that's what it so is. does the flubber ray, is it a shrink ray, Professor? And Professor Brainerd, in classic absent-minded style, goes, I do not know why the chicken shrunk, and I cannot replicate it. Right. He's like, luckily, I can't replicate it. So Terrible sign. But we first learn about <laughs> yeah. But so we first learn fuckable. about Beverly though when the, uh, Humphrey is like launched and then he falls into the, the hen into house. the yeah hen it's house. a running Which gag, is a gag in the movie falling. yeah mm -hmm. he keeps falling in yeah. and then William Demarest comes out with a gun in the middle of the suburbs that he's going to yeah. shoot the whoever's rustling his chickens because suddenly this is a you know a, a, a completely different movie entirely. Also, he's German in the book or something, right? Because he's saying either German. He's saying something with umlauts Oh. at one point. Mm. He says something. It's like one, like, like he'll, he'll speak in English and then he'll end it with like a little phrase. But he, so he's like, um, and of course, the professor and um, Biff have to also be in the 
hen house for us to hear this story that they're then like, oh, he's upset about Beverly. Beverly is this chicken that got shrunk. But then now the fog has made Beverly six feet tall. And Beverly debuts being six feet tall at the courthouse with the other large vegetables. And he's just very happy about it. This is this is yes. the, 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 the arc that we're given. He's we a prize so many- rooster. So many terrible arcs in this book and movie, <laughs> specifically the, the Betsy one. I'm so put upon by my husband. He treats me terribly. I'm finally getting out to just at the end going, but I just love him so much. Presumably, she just feels ashamed to break up with someone absent-minded. She feels like it's breaking up with someone with cancer, right? She's like, I can't leave a man in that state. She totally turns so quickly, it's wild. Anyway, the best arc of the entire book is that he accidentally shrunk this rooster a while ago and then the weather gun blows the rooster up to enormous uh, height and the farmer loves it. Okay. Seems like a special effect that they couldn't figure out how to pull off in the movie. So it's like, oh, we'll just put it in the book. Maybe that was in the original script, who knows? Well, one, th- one thing is for sure, we like it. We love the Beverly <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah, it, it, Giant chicken? Yeah, why not? Hannah, I'm getting that from your facial expression. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I was just thinking about your argument that you basically can't divorce someone who's too absent-minded because it's, like, negligent somehow. In the, yeah, in the yeah, way like, that, like, poor Mr. Rochester can't can't get rid of his crazy wife because she's mad. You're not allowed yeah, to divorce no, her. No, you like, gotta. Ned Brainerd, if, if she divorces him, he will he will walk out a third-floor window thinking it's the front door. Fine. I, d- I think she wanted to marry a <laughs> husband, not adopt a child. Yeah. He's holding her hostage with his inability to, like, grow up. Like, Okay, sorry. well. They're not, it's not an even partnership. You can't. You can't stay in it. You can't. So I, what I'm getting from this is in sickness and in health doesn't really mean anything to, the, to you two. Okay. I got divorced last year. I literally <laughs> got divorced last year. So... <laughs> So if that's a little context. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of colors how I look at this relationship. (laughs) I personally was shocked that the movie did not end with Betsy revealing, oh, and there's going to be another little absent-minded person in our house. You know, Well, they can't Uh, fuck because he can't remember to do it. Yeah, I would literally barf if she was pregnant. She's pregnant (laughs) I think between movies, yeah, this this probably, you know, there was a honeymoon period, but that's usually... how so many of these Disney movies end yeah. like you can't have the sex, but you're implying that like, oh, and another one on the way, you know, they bring in all the giant vegetables. I just and can't imagine what nightmare flubber baby. <laughs> like, I just don't want anything. I don't want to think about it. I don't even want to put brain power near it. I actually no. love this as a sequel hook. They have the baby and then the, the sequel hook is that the baby who is a, a little boy is trying to breastfeed from like her butt because he's like <laughs> absent-minded. Ew, I hate or it. Or something. I hate everything about this. <laughs> from her butt. Every single word you just He's too absent-minded. He's the absent-minded. He's son of absent-minded <laughs> That's professor. That's not what Ouch. that word means. You don't. 
Oh my god! I, I I can't stop seeing it in my head now. <laughs> it's evocative. I think it would be. I think it would be funny if like she has the because remember how they show the commercial where the, they drop the baby on the flubberized floor and the baby bounces. Yeah, like, she drops the baby and it bounces, and then he like looks at his lab and like the flubber's like bouncing, and he's like, "Ah, oh, you cheated on me with flubber." What? <laughs> You're not gonna make us like watch the remake Flubber, are you? Like, I don't want to. God no. No, I we don't have to do that. Ew, the little like person one. I don't like. I don't like when it's a person. Here, wait. I have a new pitch for the end of Son of Flubber, which is that the baby comes out. We've already covered this ground. It tries to breastfeed from the butt, and it's like you can tell it's absent-minded, right? And then, and 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 she picks the baby up. And she goes, let me try out this new flubber floor. And Ned Brainerd goes, we don't have a flubber floor. She drops the baby on its head, and then it sits up and starts playing with blocks like a normal baby. And she's like, look, he's fine. Like She, she, she reset him. the baby. She reset the baby. <laughs> or I what was... if the baby is not absent-minded, and it's actually Shelby's? Whoa. Oh, no. It comes out in a little creature from the Black Lagoon suit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cute. That would be really cute. I just don't like this. It's so absent-minded. It doesn't know how to eat. Like that freaks me out. Yeah, and like there the is her butt. That really upsets me. <laughs> okay, I can't tell if I'm in trouble because I put a child in danger in this scenario, or because I I invented the phrase "breastfeed out the butt." I well, it's one or the I, other. It's the latter. Yeah, I really don't like it. I do like that in your mind. You're like, what's the opposite of a boob? A butt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's something really upsetting about that, <laughs> Andrew. I mean, obviously, you'd be trying to breastfeed out the butt cheek, not the... Anyway, so um, it's less gross than the alternative. So... Are there nipples on the butt? Okay, I don't, no, I no, it's absent-minded. Yeah. How many times do I have to say this? It's, it's an absent-minded baby. It's absent a baby. baby. All Son babies are absent-minded. It doesn't have to also be perverse and disturbing <laughs> i'm going to start playing some licensed music so you have to cut all this from the maybe this is, this maybe is... okay get rid of guys i'm willing to grow and learn get rid of breastfeed out the butt the baby's born and it loves beakers okay some shit like that it's wearing sure. a lab coat that's fine oh, yeah, yeah all it, you it, need it's... lab coat and glasses for the baby I, I do like the scene when the the baby bounces in the in the movie yeah. in the movie. That 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 was maybe my favorite scene. What movie. a funny I, thing! Are you yeah. neglectful to your child? Don't yeah. worry. You think you're gonna kill your baby <laughs> accidentally? We got you. Yeah, and that uh. family is all wearing wigs when they're like, when they're flubberized, they all have like great wigs. I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, and she's holding like a, a, a doll even more obvious than the American Sniper doll. I'm like, oh my god, they're not even trying. Then I thought, oh, they're they're gonna drop that baby, aren't they? That baby's <laughs> really? going going down. Yeah, Johnny Pomato. Yeah, you are on trial for being married for many years to an absent-minded person who you had uh, Congress with, uh, and. They have decided that that is a crime because that person cannot consent. And so you're going to have to go to jail. You want to convey to this judge that it was okay what you did. And you present as evidence Son of Flubber by Roger Fuller for the judge to read. Do you think that it would convince the judge that you did not commit a crime and should be a free man? Uh, I love uh, this sort of era of live action Disney. 
Uh, this is not my favorite of them. Uh, even Absent-Minded Professor, uh, you know, doesn't crack my, my, my top tier. Uh, but I like that more, uh, despite the, the cast and uh, some of the ideas that are in this, but it just feels a little half-baked. And the book is a lot worse. I really like the, the first book, and there are aspects of the movie I like that I think don't come across in the book, and part of that is the whole Biff thing. The whole Biff thing. There's too much Biff. My theory is that Tommy Kirk was really exploding on the Mickey Mouse Club in between movies, and that's why his role was beefed up. And maybe they were like sort of angling for a spinoff. Now they rename him. But did you all know that the very next year, Tommy Kirk stars in another Disney movie called The Misadventures of Merlin Jones, in which he is essentially playing teenage absent-minded professor it's basically the same thing he has wacky adventures it's him and annette funicello Mm. there's a sequel called the monkey's uncle uh you know i'm saying like it could be our next episode the four of us except i don't think there is a novelization of it oh wait Yes, there is. Oh my oh God! God. <laughs> oh my God, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I don't know. Like, Tommy Kirk is you very would... charming in yeah. Son of Flubber. So you would think from listening to this that Johnny's holding up a book, but he isn't. <laughs> it's a no. picture no. on a phone. But yeah, God yeah. bless him. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm ordering it though. I, I I say we go for it. I don't know if there's a monkey's uncle one too, but you know this. This feels a like a monkey's paw. <laughs> Oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, so no, don't love this book. Uh, like the the first movie, and and at least the 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 movie of this has Paul Lind in it, which this book has nothing, nothing like that. So no, 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 no good. Mm. Hannah Blackman. Yeah, you are my twenty five year old coworker who, when I said the word flubber, said they had never heard that word in their life and had no <laughs> reference point for it at all, which yeah. freaked me out. As yeah. Mm. You really want to have better conversations with me in general. So you decide you're going to pick up Son of Flubber by Roger Fuller to try to relate to me. Do you think we'd be friends after that? Um, I think if I put it upon myself, we might have a fun conversation about it in our carpool. If you had said to me, please read Son of Flubber to understand me, I would kill you. (laughs) I work, colleague. Please read Son of Flubber to understand me. (laughs) I uh, hated this book. I think it's an absolute drag. It is. I couldn't get into it at all mentally. It just just like had a wall up where I was like trying to like it, and I simply hated every single thing about it. I think the mm-hmm. movie's kind of fun. Um, I think the the design of the book is good. The physical media of the book looks good, but no, fuck it, straight to hell. I hated everything about it. Ned Brainerd is a bad person. And also, Andrew, here's here's what I'll say on the fuck scale, <laughs> okay? Is uh-huh. he capable of consent? He's a professor, right? He has thoughts. Okay. He, I think, is capable of consent in the way that, like, people with Down syndrome can have sex with each other, you know? Like, they are people with thoughts and minds and personalities. I think he is capable of consent. He's just a shitty-ass husband. Fair. Divorce Fair. him. Fair. That's where I come down. Kelly on. Nugent. Wait, I uh, there there actually is oh a my God. monkey's uncle, uh, not novelization, but a comic book adaptation. So we could uh-huh. you know, that could be wow. a mini episode for us. We can do it all. Kelly Nugent, you are the narrator of all pieces of fiction. Biff, whatever his name is, Hawk. I'm Biff. You're Biff. You are narrating the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> Saying things to the reader such as, uh, 
That's pretty much all that happened before Jesus died. Well, actually, there was this thing in the garden. As you watch this guy get put up on the cross uh, and, you know, just sort of report it as opposed to interfering, mm. you see a guard who can, you can maybe distract uh, and save, save Jesus. You hand him a copy of Son of Flubber by Roger Fuller. Do you think that this Roman guard would be distracted enough that Jesus could sneak away because of how interesting the book was. I am going to get put up there next to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that, it, that does not help anybody, me sharing this book with anyone. Um, wow. I did not enjoy this book. I thought it was very, it was very hard for me to get around the biff of it all. Um, and then <laughs> add to it that like, I thought that the professor was even meaner in the book than he was in the movie. And it really dragged and it was longer than the first book. It didn't have any of the pictures. And I know that makes me sound like a child, but I liked the pictures in the first one. <laughs> pictures were good. Yeah, pictures and were um, it just didn't have any charm or whimsy. I didn't enjoy the movie uh, very. I, I liked parts of it and I liked certain characters. Um, and I like certain scenes, but overall, it just didn't feel like one piece. It just felt like a poorly put together anthology. I, there, were, there were parts I was slightly amused, but I wouldn't, I, and I really detested the book. So Wonderful. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Um, Andrew Overby. You are Desiree de la whatever. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You have moved back pot. to your hometown, kind of to try and hook up with an old flame, but maybe just to have some fun. And that all kind of falls apart, and you drop out of the story, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Nobody's checking in on you. Nobody's curious about your life anymore, which is unfair, because you're not defined by your relationships to men. You're an interesting person. You're sunbathing in the yard one day, and you're reading Son of Flubber by Roger Fuller. Are you enjoying the experience? Are you attracting male attention with this book? How are you finding it? I think I would enjoy the book to some degree, except I'm, I'm quite distracted from it by the sound of car wrecks outside of my house because I'm so <laughs> hot people can't drive by. Which is, of course, canonical to the book. Yes. Uh, I enjoyed reading the book enough. I think I'm the most positive on the book out of all of us. I enjoyed it for the sheer audacity of trying to be this, trying to make it a Biff vehicle, and it just didn't work at all. But every page is going. So, I mean, I was just looking at one. There's one late in the book when they're arguing at the party, and Biff goes, I really realized I shouldn't be there. This was a domestic dispute, but also me leaving would be so disruptive. So I stayed. And that stuff really made me laugh. And while this book was longer than The Absent-Minded Professor, it wasn't so long that I felt burdened by it. I was able to get through it pretty quickly. There were some interesting images, even though overall I would never, ever recommend it. So I think me being me, I have my choice of any man in the town anyway, and I don't think I would need the book to sway anyone, and I don't think it could. I have one more question for the group. Uh-huh. Have we ever read or encountered a book, novelization, or whatever, of a comedy film that was successfully funny? Do those exist? Is it just impossible to successfully novelize a comedy? 
How many comedies I, have we even done? Does Gremlins and Clueless? Gremlins was funny. Clueless Gremlins is had really its good. Moments. Um, I I think that there was one. I think that we had one that kind of. Uh, uh, hmm, hmm. I'll I'll have to look at the the our, our Wikipedia. Hannah, page. I think even though it's not solely a comedy, it's sneakers. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Sneakers was funny. Okay. I just was like, can it be done? Can it be done? Can you write a book that's funny? Oh, can I thought you were saying done? as you were yeah, reading, you, you were going, book. can I... it be done? <laughs> I mean, no. Can you write books that are funny? Of course. Can but you it is hard translate a comedy yeah. movie? I mean, can, has anyone? Six, I mean, I don't know. It, I want to be I laughing mean, out loud. If you're taking a, a funny movie, then some of the, the funny attributes of the movie might be funny in the novelization. But when you're building off of that, it's hard to, uh, to you know, continue in that tone, I would say. I'm so worried about making everybody read The Great Race now. Hannah, I'm, I'm, I'm really right there. Worried. No, no, no. We're, we're going to get through this. I, I, I that can't movie wait. makes me howl with laughter. And one I of the books sucks, it. Johnny. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will be bad. You don't have Peter <laughs> Falk on the page with you. So, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Just for an excuse to watch the movie again and make Robin watch it with me. My favorite three-hour comedy. <laughs> Just keeps going. <laughs> Kelly Nugent, thank you so much for letting us put you through two books featuring Ned Brainerd. Ugh. I know. Next time we gotta find a good man in a book for yeah, you. Yeah, give me a hottie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do all the Shelby Ashton spinoffs <laughs> next. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly, what do you do? Where do you do it? And what keeps you doing it? Oh my god. Um uh well we're still striking although WGA just came to a tentative agreement so there's that. Sounds like it's uh it's it's coming to an end. So it yeah. sounds like SAG is SAG soon on, after. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good. So um for now just follow me on everything at Kelly New G K E L L Y N U G E E. Uh, and you can listen to my podcasts, um, Teen Creeps and What Even Is This? Um, yeah. And yeah, I'll, um, I don't know. I keep people updated on what I'm doing on my social media. So that's what you can find me doing. Amazing. To our listeners, please do rate our podcast, review it, subscribe to it, leave a five-star review on Apple or iTunes. And in that review, please do. Write a paragraph, novelizing a scene from your favorite movie, and we will try to guess what that movie is on mic, so don't make it too obvious. Keep us guessing a little bit, but be a good game maker, you know? Leave enough crumbs that I can find the sandwich. We got a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash authorized pod. And, as usual, I'm going to close out the episode by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. Please do tweet at authorized pod if you think that you recognize what this is from. Professor Brainerd, even though we haven't paid you for the flubber you gave us, we need you to invent a specific flubber gadget to help with American espionage. Oh, okay. Who is it for? Oh, just the spy who came in from the cold. Good night.
So, I am getting very tired of Ned Brainerd's unethical antics, specifically <laughs> in relation to sports. And so I wanted to ask all of you today, how did this person cheat? Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. So we're, of course, looking at Tom Brady here. Uh, he did that thing. Probably the most famous example. Oh, dear. <laughs> Are all of these he? sports? No. Well, oh, sort of. Oh, God. Well, no. But, but no, not, they're not... They're not sports people unrelated to movies. Let's put it that way. If everything is uh, more obscure than Tom Brady, then I'm in real trouble. <laughs> so the way this will work is you'll buzz in with your first name. Be that Hannah, Kelly, or Johnny, and you can get two points. Tell me what property the photo is from and also how the person in the photo cheated. Mm. This was a really hard game to put together because Googling any of this got me movies about affairs. Mm. Not what I was looking for. Up first, how did this person cheat? Johnny. Johnny Pomato. This is the host from Slumdog Millionaire. And, okay, it's been a while, but uh, uh, it involves a bathroom mirror that he fogs up and he puts the answer on, except it's the wrong answer because he, he's, he's, he's jealous of our young Slumdog or something or other. He doesn't like him, and so he's going to give him the wrong answer. Yeah, I... I think this is, of course, the host from Slumdog Millionaire, and I believe that he also is feeding correct answers to the person he wants to win. Isn't that true? Oh, I, maybe. Uh, it's, it's been quite a while since I've seen that one. Look, I'll take it, Johnny. You remember the spirit of his deception. <laughs> Up next, how did this person cheat? Oh, Kelly? Kelly Nugent. Okay, I'm really guessing here only because I think that she was in this movie. So she was playing Elizabeth Holmes... No, wait, no, 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 no. That's not a movie. That's a show. Okay. Well, it could be uh, a show. It could be a show. Oh, oh, it could. It's okay. just, She's... what did this person, how did they cheat? Oh, that's Elizabeth Holmes, and she cheated by scamming a bunch of people out of uh, money for the one drop blood thing. Okay. lies. Here's the thing, Kelly. Is you're this right. not her? No, you're is this right. not the right movie? This is Amanda Seyfried in the dropout as Lizzie Holmes. That Here's the thing. Can you state the deception that Theranos committed. They um, told everybody that um, all they, all people, well, I don't, I, I'm going to guess here. They told everybody that they um, needed just one drop of blood for their little blood machine thing, but it turns out that uh, everything didn't work and they kept scamming pe investors out of money and like she scammed a bunch of really rich people out of money because she got them to invest in Theranos, even though she had actually nothing in the prototype. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, my really? favorite detail. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely take it. My favorite she detail just, from- She just lied. Just said they well, could do it and they couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, that's not right? necessarily true, Or is Anna. it people... she cheated by doing a fake voice? Nah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, uh, the, people did demand that Theranos do trials of the, like, that they demonstrate the machine. And there are chapters in that book that the show and the documentary are based on where- they go, okay, let's take a little bit of your blood so we can prove that this works. And then they take their blood and they go, um, actually, maybe it's a little too cold in here for this to work. Let me walk outside the room. And then they would just put the blood in a bigger, <gasps> huge machine made by a different company. And they'd oh get the result God. back and they'd come back and be like, you have HIV. It works. That wow. is <laughs> diabolical. Diabolical. Also sloppy. How stupid do you have to be to be the investor and be like, I guess it was too cold in the room. <laughs> 
I, would, I mean, I would have been way off if I had guessed that she cheated with Liam Neeson when he was married to Julianne Moore because I thought this was that uh that that Chloe movie. So, you know, I'm... oh, <laughs> where she's like the nanny. Yeah, she's the something or other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew did say he wasn't using affairs <laughs> in this game. Wait, so it's really it's not affairs at all. In it's this not game? affairs. There's no infidelity. Okay, okay good there to goes know. All of my prepared Diane Lane material. <laughs> <laughs> That thing you said about Chloe, I didn't recognize mm-hmm. a single noun in that. Okay, up next, what did this person do to cheat? <laughs> Hannah. Hannah Blackman. Um, this is previously discussed Arnold Rothstein from Boardwalk Empire, who of course fixed the World Series. Of course. As, uh, as Hannah and I had some pre-pod wow. chat, Arnold Rothstein came up. And this is of course <laughs> Michael Stuhlbarg as Arnold Rothstein in Hannah for that second point. Did you say it already? In yeah, what? Boardwalk Empire. I'm oh, rewatching that show right now. Like a criminal. Okay, um, <laughs> okay Kelly, um, there's cheating in this game right now because Andrew told Hannah, like, incepted Hannah with Andrew <laughs> no, Rothstein no. while I, we were talking. I would have gotten this happened. anyway, Before Kelly. I promise. I am no. <laughs> I am midway through rewatching this show that just t- eats up my whole brain. So no. it's here no, for what? me. And, and for the record, because this wasn't on mic, what happened is that I was talking about <laughs> having a carpool with my friend Beep, and she, and she really likes baseball, Arnold and Rothstein. Hannah brought up, talked to her about Arnold Rothstein. I because did not I'm really that. That is true. That is true. It, it did originate from Hannah. That is true. We've Let all got true. fictional sports cheating on the brain because of this <laughs> fucking movie. Up next, how did this person cheat? Johnny. Hannah. Johnny Pomato. Okay. I th- I think this is the Angels in the Outfield remake. I, I think we're looking at the back of little Joseph Gordon-Levitt's head. And he, uh, he, he helped the Angels win the pennant through divine intervention. Uh, celestial beans flying around the field. One might say Angels out in that outfield. Yeah, that, that, that's probably the easiest way to say it, yeah. Johnny, this is, of course, the remake of Angels in the Outfield, and the way they cheated was they used fucking angels. Yeah, can't do that. <laughs> to win the game. Tony Danza was right there. He's enough. He'll, he'll win. He has a good arm. Up next, how did this person cheat? Mm. Hannah? Hannah Blackman. Is this cool runnings? If it were, I mean, how did this person cheat? I don't recall cheat? any cheating in that uplifting story of hard work and endurance. Hannah, what if I told you that in Cool Runnings, part of the reason it was uplifting is because someone was dropping their legacy of being known as a cheat. Okay, I'm just going to take my one point for knowing what it was, yeah. and someone else can have the other point if they know what it is. I, 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 Hannah's dead right, I, I, but I... I, I you know, haven't seen this since 1993. I think the thing was that he was disgraced, and that's why John Candy is living in Jamaica, of all places. He cheated in his own Olympics, right? Uh, but uh, how you cheat in bobsled, I, I simply don't know. He, he had uh, extra sharp cleats or something. This is, of course, John Candy in Cool Runnings, and he cheated by putting weights in bobsleds. Oh, okay. Oh. Which would work. It logically makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah it makes sense. Up next, how did this person cheat? Um, Hannah. Hannah Blackman. This is Sebulba from Star Wars The Phantom Menace. 
and I believe he cheats. I mean, he's bonking into people. He's throwing wrenches into other people's engines. He's a little stinker. He's cheating all over the place. This is, of course, Sebulba from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, and he cheated by, I don't remember. Oh, I could have got <laughs> that. <laughs> I could have just, just said, like, I just oh, don't he took remember. a shortcut during the pod race. He cut a corner. I don't know. Uh, He's definitely cutting corners. Sabotage sounds right, though. I, th- I bet it was sabotage. It sounds, oh, look like at that face. Mis- miscellaneous sabotage. I think I do remember yeah. him throwing something into the engine of, of Lil Anakin Skywalker. Up next. How did this person cheat? Uh, uh, Hannah. I think I know the movie. Hannah Blackman. I mean, this is um, the Rufus Sewell from A Knight's mm. Tale. Doesn't he, like, fuck up Heath Ledger's armor or something? I don't remember. But I'll Anyone else have a guess as to Rufus Sewell's cheating from A Knight's Tale? This isn't top of brain or for maybe everyone. His, his jousting lance is sharp. And I'll give it to you. This is Rufus Sewell in A Knight's Tale, and he mm-hmm. did something involving illegal material in his tournament weapon. I, I'm, I've been having a rough time recently, guys. I, the research no, on this game, you're not great, terrific. Buddy. No, it's okay. You did he did job. something like he put cork in his bat, but for fencing, for a, for like the equivalent lance. of that. Jousting. They're jousting. Yeah. For jousting. I'm just impressed that I recognized mm. this as A Knight's Tale, having never seen the movie. But I like saw Rufus Sewell in armor. I was like, oh, this, he must have been the bad guy in A Knight's Tale. Up next, how did this person cheat? Oh, Kelly. Kelly Nugent. This is real life, <laughs> right? <laughs> she uh, she um got her kid into the onto the team at some Ivy League um onto the rowing team. Uh, I believe it was rowing. Is this? Kelly, True? I'll give it to you. Yeah. This is, of course, from real life, and this is Lori Laughlin, who was part of the college admission scandal. Oh, yeah. is this her mayor? Me? No, <laughs> Andrew. No, first no. of all, that's Lori, that's Lori Lightfoot, Lightfoot, and she also got voted out. Okay, just, <laughs> I don't live in Chicago. She had the, the, the incredible final line as mayor, where Brandon Johnson was about to win the mayorship. She knew she wasn't winning, and but she just went. Brandon Johnson will not be mayor. That was the last public statement she made. Just wrong to the end. We love her. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Our final question: How did this person cheat? Johnny, Johnny Pomato. This is Billy Mitchell, and uh, he uh, he he. Uh, Steve Weeby was the was the the noble. King of Conger, who uh, was trying to beat the record the old-fashioned way, and Billy sent in a doctored VHS tape after they already told Steve that he could not send in a tape. But uh, they just loved Billy so much. Also, his hot sauce stinks. This is, of course, from The King of Kong, the only movie that my girlfriend and I both like. Hmm. And this is (laughs) Billy Mitchell, who sent in doctored tapes, making it seem like he had uninterrupted Victory runs of King Kong. King Kong. Donkey, Donkey Kong. Kong. Yeah. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. What a good documentary yeah, a good one. film. I mean, it's is. incredible. It is an incredible I have never seen film. it. Oh, it's so good, Kelly. Makes me cry. Really? Yeah. I should, I should watch it. Isn't it great that we ones. never got the Johnny Depp proposed uh, dramatized remake of it? Yeah. That, I think it's good that we yeah, did Yeah, that it. was going to happen. Ooh. Yeah, dodged a bullet Yikes. there. It would only make Billy Mitchell seem sympathetic. And by comparison. 